Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Philip Goldberg. He is author of the book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. Expert teacher Philip Goldberg draws on authoritative texts and masters from every spiritual path especially the empirical methods of the yoga tradition, as well as contemporary psychology, scientific research, and decades of interviews and personal experience. This breezy, thorough, pragmatic book will help you find refuge and healing from the crazy times we're living in, and it will prepare you for taking robust steps to help restore any sanity in in the world around you. Philip Goldberg is author or co-author of numerous books, a public speaker and workshop leader, a spiritual counselor, a meditation teacher, a, an uh, ordained interfaith minister, and as a, as a Los Angeles resident, he co-hosts the Spirit Matters podcast, leads American Veda tours, and blogs regularly on Elephant Journal and Spirituality and Health. For more information, you can visit his website, which is www.philipgoldberg.com. With that, I'd like to welcome Phil to the show. Good day, Phil. Hi, Robert. Great to be with you. Thank you. Um, Boy, if ever there was a topic, you know, I mean, I think, you know, this this COVID has kind of put your topic right right there in the forefront of everybody's mind. So I'm really looking forward to, to talking to you about that today. Yes, uh, everybody keeps complimenting me on my great timing. Uh, I wish I could say I knew <laughs> I did it intentionally. Uh, I, I'm sure. So, well, you know, speaking of that, um, can you tell us um, a bit about um, like what inspired the book and, and kind of how that process of publication kind of intersected with the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. or experience? Well, the truth is, um, I was inspired to write the book um, maybe a year and a half ago, in the spring of uh, 2019. I uh, kept uh, hearing from people that um, they were distressed, worried, fearful, angry, confused, uh, and all kinds of other uh adjectives to describe uh, an agitated state because of conditions in the world. It was seemed to be crazy even then, and people were having difficulty adapting. Uh, and a lot of those people are people I've known for many, many years and people uh, who I met and, and, and were serious about their inner development, their spiritual lives, and they were neglecting the usual spiritual practices and routines of 
either because they felt too agitated to do them or uh, they were so busy uh, engaged in some kind of uh, social activism uh, to to change things in the world that they uh, didn't want to take the time. And, and, um, and that seems strange to me because um, I see spiritual practice as a very practical thing uh, that you, you, I compared waiting till you're calm to do something like meditation <laughs> is like waiting till you're clean to take a shower. Um, you know, they were neglecting the, the methods that we turn to for, for refuge and for sanctuary and finding peace and, and to protect ourselves from the out, the madness of the outer world um, for the wrong reasons. And the people who were busy, at, you know, trying to do something about world conditions or their local conditions, uh, I argued that uh, spiritual practices, the ones that are deep and effective, uh, are a great platform for uh, constructive and effective action. They're not ways of uh, turning away from the world, except temporarily when you sit to meditate or you do yoga or you sit in prayer or whatever your practice is. But when you come out of them, you are better equipped to do good in the world, to act with compassion and love and clarity of mind and and have that sort of inner calm that we always wish we had under pressure. And so I wrote an article about that, and that got some attention. And my publisher of my previous book said, oh, let's, would there be a book in that? Could you expand that? And, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah. I, I've learned a lot of spiritual practices over half a century or so, and um, I can fill in the gaps with some research and come up with a practical book to help people, especially in crazy times, uh, maintain their inner peace, their their good health, and also um, the clarity of mind and, and inner sort of stability that makes for more effective action. So I started writing the book and we were all through editing and proofreading and everything when COVID broke out. <laughs> and um, there was a little window of time where we could have made changes in the book to adjust, you know, for the life in uh, lockdown. But um, we decided that would be uh, done in haste and, and we'd rather not. And, and, and that everything in the book would apply um, they're perennial teachings that I drew from. They work in good times and bad times. And, um, and, and one of the premises of my book is that certain times in our history, like the one we're living in now, are collectively crazy and very difficult and challenging. But in any of our lives individually, regardless of what's going on in the larger world, um, we can go through turmoil and difficulty and periods of loss and uh, upset and setbacks. And so the the methods in the book, all these practical teachings, are um, useful at any time for, for individuals. And so we felt it best not to... Uh, make changes just because of the pandemic. I will tell you now that there's one thing I wish I'd said. 
um, if I'd known we were, the book was going to come out in the middle of, of the pandemic, I would have emphasized a little more that the same spiritual practices that uh, bring us inner peace and clarity and all the other benefits that I described also strengthen the immune system. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, these are findings from scientific research. So uh, in my, you know, talks like this one, since the book came out, I, I also want to bring that point out. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, would have been a good inclusion, but, but we have that now. Um, and, and, you know, the, I can understand um, the, uh, the timeless nature of what it is that, that you, you know, we offer in the book. And like you say, you know, everyone will go through crazy times in their life, you know, individually. So um, it's good that it, uh, that you kind of expand, you know, recognize that it's something beyond just like the pandemic or, or external craziness that it, you know, external circumstances that it could be individually as well. Um, Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about spiritual practice. Um, Now, is this, um, can you, can you talk about, you know, the importance of practice, different kinds of practice, you know, just the, the whole idea of, um, the 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 value of dedicating that time toward that activity. Yes, and thanks for mentioning time, because people often think of spiritual practice as a kind of luxury, you know, something they do when they take a day off, or something they'll do eventually when they retire. They don't see it as an <laughs> integral part of life, and. You know, I've I've been meditating every day and doing other practices uh, for more than 50 years now. And, and to me, you know, it's like brushing my teeth or taking a shower or getting my exercise or, you know, stopping to eat. You do these things that are, you know, good for the maintenance of your well-being. And that's how I see spiritual practice. It's it's an investment in better health and better behavior and better relationships and better, more effective and productive activity. Um, because I saw the difference early on between the days I did it and the days I didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my life before it and my life after it. And it was empirical it was, you know, like my own little scientific study. And over the years, you know, scientists have done studies on various forms of meditation and mindfulness and uh, yoga and breathing and prayer and all the things we think of as coming from a spiritual uh, tradition, but that can also be seen in secular terms uh, as uh, practices, um, disciplines, methods that are beneficial for the mind, the body, the spirit. And there's data to back that up. And so I have no hesitation telling, you know, atheists to, to meditate <laughs> or deeply religious people to do these same practices because, 
you know, if my health care provider can recommend yoga and meditation to me, <laughs> really? and, you That's know, so, so can, uh, you know, a Swami or a priest or a rabbi. And, and because these are, you know, non-sectarian universal methods of um, self-improvement and upliftment and, and, and with respect to, you know, crazy times around us of self-protection. We they they give us refuge. They give us some inner peace, a break from the madness. But even more effective, if the, if more important, if they are effective practices and you do them regularly, the effects of them, the benefits of them, carry over into our lives. So it's not just taking a break. It's also taking a break that's the equivalent of like soaking a sponge in water, it remains wet for a while afterward. And the dampness mm -hmm. is useful. It's like going to the bank. You invest the time to go make a withdrawal, and then you have spending money for when you're, you know, uh, shopping. Uh, well, in the days of these days of credit cards, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's some uh, you know different metaphor, but you get yeah. the point. It, these are investments that you know carry out into our lives for uh, the benefit of everything we do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now you had a, a, an interesting story in the book um, when you were writing um, a particular chapter in regarding a T-shirt <laughs> and it said, "Meditation is not what you think." Um, yeah, and I kind of I read that one several times. Like, hmm, very interesting. So, could, would you mind sharing that, that story and, and talking about the, the different um, meanings of, of that statement? Yeah, um <laughs> I have, I'm I'm a big uh fan and advocate of meditation, of deep meditation, meditation that takes you to what I call the uh, sanctuary of peace that we all have within us that is at the core of our being. And that <clears throat> excuse me, that is that premise carries through the whole book. Everything it, it Every method is designed to put us in touch with that uh, inner sanctuary, that inner source of silence and peace. <clears throat> Excuse me. So mm -hmm. in the chapter where I discuss meditation and the different forms of meditation and give instructions and all that, um, as it happened, <laughs> it's a true story. You know, I, I was the morning I was going to start my first draft of that chapter and I just put on a t-shirt that, um, you know, I have a t-shirt draw that I, you know, just wear around the house when I work. And I didn't even look at what it was. I just grabbed one and put it on. And then when I got to, you know, I have a, my office has a sliding glass door. I saw my reflection in the door and it happens that the, the t-shirt I took out, had on the front meditation it's not what you think and i thought boy that's perfect i was about to write a chapter on this so i may as well begin with this and and there's three different meanings in that one meditation mean may not be what you think it is because there are a great many misconceptions about it especially in the popular media 
And the second is that meditation is not what you think in the sense that the effectiveness of meditation has nothing to do with the content of the thoughts that arise in meditation. Uh, in meditation, in this sense, is not the act of thinking about something. It actually takes us beyond thought. And that's the third meaning of it not being what you think. Meditation should take us beyond the um, activity of the mind into the deep silence that underlies the mind. And that's so that's the uh, anecdote because and it's true. I didn't make it up, but I it was fun to write about. Yeah, it's it's fun when you get those little bits of um uh you know insight or, or inspiration or yeah. synchronicity, those kinds of things that um it's fun to not, for me when that happens it just kind of affirms for me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and it's kind of a kind of a, you know, high five. To, to, to what I'm yeah. working on right at the moment. Yeah, and if you're a writer, it's it's a fabulous gift from <laughs> wherever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We you know, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, misconceptions, you know, because um, a lot of, um, you know, when I, when I talk to some people, I mean, I've, I've been in the, the metaphysical area for you know for a long time so i know i've got a circle of friends who you know certainly understand meditation and its value and but then there there is that subset of people around me that you know just look at it as you know woo woo you know or, or things that yeah. you know, yeah. really don't serve a purpose you know that, that's yeah. kind of a, an escapism so can you talk about you know if i have one of those people um, with me, what what would you say to them um, to put it into to, to kind of correct some of that misconception? Well, I would say the same thing I've been saying for fifty years. Okay. Um, and if you think people feel that way now, you should have been around back when I started meditating. It was really <laughs> bizarre then. But as I mentioned earlier, it is you know it meditation is now pretty mainstream. You know, um, a lot of ordinary people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of scientists, a lot of, you know, secular people, uh, they they recognize its value on a very practical level. It, you know, in, in the days I got interested in it, it was, I was, you know, a young man in the counterculture. You know, it, it was the kind of thing that was reserved for not reserved for, but that attracted sort of avant-garde people, spiritual seekers, you know, um, renegades, people on the fringes. Um, and that's that was the case up until like the 1970s when scientists said, you know, a lot of people are doing this, a lot of young people, and uh, especially after the Beatles famously took up meditation and went to India. And and so they said, let's see if we can study this. And I was actually, uh, you know, one of the subjects in what turned out to be a landmark study. I just volunteered, you know. Um, and I was, I was, I remember sitting in a in a little cubicle in Harvard Medical School with blood pressure cuff and EEG uh, wires. 
uh, meditating, and they, you know, I was one of the subjects, and and they find that things, uh, your body changes, your brain waves change, and and now, <clears throat> all these years later, the the uh, scientific technology is so sophisticated, they can, you know, re, they can validate the effectiveness of these teachings and distinguish one practice from another and which parts of the brain and how much the blood pressure lowers. And, and blood pressure is just one of many, many measures of, of benefit. So I would say to people, if, you know, one, look at the research. Two, look at the People who endorse it, they include doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, well-known people, ordinary people, and mainly try it. Take a, you know, do an experiment. Learn a, a, a reputable form of meditation. Try it out for a while and see if it doesn't have an effect on your life. You don't have to believe in it. <laughs> You don't. You don't have to. You know, take a vow. You don't have to sign on to some dogma. You know, it's yeah. just a, these are practical methods that you can take on your own terms and try them out. So that's what I would say. Yeah, and, and I agree. It's um, it is becoming more uh, more mainstream, and you know, the the, the quote scientific. Um, support for the practices, I think, for for some people is is helpful. You know, um, and, and you know that that have a tendency to look at a, a logical, you know, uh, way for things that you know, logical explanations rather than just um, you know the, the empirical. Um, so. With a spiritual practice, is it um, important to have a like a set practice? You know, I mean, like daily in the morning or in the night. I mean, is there any benefit to having a routine? You know, as yes. far as a practice. Yes, and some people, you know, take routine to the uh, level of doing the same thing at the same time in the same place every day. But, you know, there's obviously flexibility. But doing something of deep uh, value every day, what uh, the yogis call sadhana, regular practice, um, has, you know, great benefit, much more benefit, let us say, than if you do it only once in a while or sporadically. I mean, even that will have value any time you do a beneficial thing. It's like any time you eat a healthy meal, it's going to be of value. But if you do it every day, it's even more of a value, right? It's like if you eat junk, it's good every one, you know, once a week to eat something, you know, some healthy meals. But it's much better if you don't eat the junk and, and eat, you know, regularly. Same with showering and brushing your teeth. Better to do it regularly. And so it's a similar kind of thing. And because, you, and again, there are data about this. If you take 15, 20 minutes, whatever, every morning, and you do a practice that's deep, like a deep meditation practice, 
And if you do it twice a day, because many teachers recommend twice a day, and you know, once in the morning, once in the afternoon or evening. But if you do it even once a day routinely, the benefits will carry over into, into life and they will accumulate over time so that um, you begin to see more long-term benefits taking shape. And, and mm-hmm. one of the key um, findings in both uh, the experience of meditation practitioners over time and in the scientific data is that one of the consistent benefits is you maintain a little bit more over time, gradually more and more, uh, a sense of equanimity or inner peace or stability when things happen, when bad, you know difficulties arise or uh, turmoil erupts or crisis hits. Not that you you know you're above it all necessarily. Right. We we can lose that inner calm, but when we do, we. We we come back. We bounce back more quickly. We're more resilient. Uh, we can return to some inner calm and stability. And in me, I'm a sports fan, and I like sports metaphors because you know, some way, athletes sort of embody certain ideals when they're at their best. And you know, when you watch a a, a basketball or a football or baseball game and it's tense, and there's pressure is high, there's certain players tame their cool. They retain their calm, and they perform at a high level in the midst of it. They don't lose their composure. They don't panic. They have that inner, inner calm and, and uh, clarity and, you know, presence of mind to do what is necessary. And the same thing is true of, you know, soldiers and policemen and business executives and parents and doctors and other people who have to perform under pressure or have to respond to a crisis. So regular practice uh, gives you a stronger foundation for staying calm and collected in the midst when things around you are uh, erupting and to bounce back and it with resilience, you know, after yeah. something arises. And, and that's terribly important, especially, you know, in times when, you know, you can get shaken up just by turning on the news. Yeah, <laughs> that is for sure. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it, it's wonderful to be able to um, come to be in a place of, of of equanimity when, when those kinds of things happen. I, I, I wrote that down as, as I was going through and reading the book because I, I just loved the um, the story. I think it was with um, you were visiting um, a museum or something and or somewhere a temple and it had Buddhist oh yeah statue yeah. But yeah, that mark that was a very early, early experience in my life when I was sort of testing the waters of, you know, dipping my toe in the waters of the spiritual teachings that came to us from the east. Uh, when I was a young student back in the '60s and exploring and everything, and um, 
And someone said to me, I moved to Boston, and someone said, oh, you should go to the uh, temple room at the Museum of Fine Arts. So I did. I'd never seen statues of Buddhas before, but this was this exquisite room uh, devoted to Buddhist statuary. And I was alone in the room. It was pure silence. And uh, just I remember looking in the faces of the Buddhas because they're always depicted with this incredible look of a serenity and wisdom. And I and I had the thought, whatever those guys had, I want it. Because you could feel it. You could sense it. And, and anybody, you know, who's looked at those depictions knows what I'm talking about. And so that was an early inspiration for me that if that's possible... <laughs> Yeah. I want it. And then I read about things like, you know, the passage in the Bhagavad Gita that, that says that yogis have equanimity and loss and gain in uh, uh, pain and pleasure and victory and defeat. And I thought, okay, if, if that's possible, I want a taste of that. And it sort of set me on my path. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when you think about just the idea that the, the craftsmanship of the sculptor, is able to embody that so that someone who sees it gets the feeling. To me, that that's that's an artist's dream, you know, to be able to yeah. convey that. And you know, I just um, I think that's wonderful. Um, I I well, agree, and it's it's uh, it's it's a blessing to the rest of us when they can do it. Which you know also points to other kinds of spiritual practices one of them is is through art and uh, the upliftment that uh, visual arts and music and storytelling and movies and all that can give us uh when we need it yeah yeah in the book you talk about an inventory of spiritual practices so just from what you listed there it sounds like um it would be beneficial if if we just like we have an inventory at our, you know, in our cabinets or or, or in our workplace, that it would be a, a helpful um, thing to have have these tools, this inventory, available to draw from. Yeah, I I I, I have developed uh, inadvertently and just sort of. Um, uh, non-systematically over the decades, just sort of an inventory of things I, I turn to uh, as when I need spiritual upliftment, when I need to get back in touch with my inner calm and my inner sanctuary, when I need a break, when I need refuge, whatever it is. And I, I just develop them and I sort of, you know, when I need to do a deep breathing exercise, when I need to do yoga stretching, when I need to sit in contemplation, when I need to take a walk in the woods, whatever it is. So I help people in the book uh, create an inventory, uh, you know, in a formal way to you know, write down mm -hmm. practices that work for them. And I break it down in uh, time periods because there's things you can do in less than five minutes, less than a minute. Things you, you know, might do if you have 20 minutes or an hour. Things you might do if you take a day off. Things you might do if you have a week to go on retreat or whatever it is. So if you write down in these categories uh, practices, and I call them spiritual practices, but 
you know, one of the points I make is that uh, we can be flexible and expansive with our definition of what is spiritual. So if, a, you know, a certain rock and roll song or, you know, a jazz <laughs> tune or something uplifts your soul and make as healing to you in that moment, then that that could be a spiritual practice. Um, it doesn't have to be a hymn or, a, you know, a, a chant that's called spiritual. It could be, you know, whatever. I, for one thing, you know, my alarm on my smartphone is John Coltrane's version of my favorite things. It always makes me feel good. <laughs> and, you know, that's a sacred thing to me. So we should be flexible in that and, and include the things that we, you know, we call spiritual. But, you know, there's no reason to limit it to that. At anything we bring a, a feeling of sacredness or specialness to turn into a spiritual practice. Yeah, yeah. My ringtone is um, Pharrell's "Happy." <laughs> so yeah, kind there of, you go. So yeah, there you go. Well, guys, we're we're already up halfway through the show, Phil. So I want to take just a quick break, and I do want to invite listeners. If you would like to ask Phil any questions, you can call in at six one nine. Seven eight nine four three five nine. And for those listening in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to type them in there. And then when we come back from the break, Phil, I want to talk about the the two step um, process or method, the spiritual two step. And, and yeah, okay, great. So everyone, sure. stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our home page. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us and, and just listening to that uh, little commercial <laughs> reminded me that I need to update that. We Last week, we hit our 10-year anniversary mark, and we've also added Spotify and Google Play to our distribution, so uh, definitely check it out. Again, today, my very special guest is Philip Goldberg. We're talking about his book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. And again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is philipgoldberg.com. 
And there you can find, in addition to information about the book, you can find information about lectures, workshops, videos, podcasts, the tours, and a blog. I mean, you just got a whole bunch of information there. Okay, with that, we're back, Phil. Good to be back, Robert. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, let's, let's talk about the spiritual two-step, you know, the, the two-step process that, that uh, the practices bring about. Right. Um, well, I alluded to it earlier. Um, what I call the spiritual two-step is a variation of just, you know, a, a <clears throat> different language for what is our perennial teachings. And the two steps are essentially going within and then coming out. I, I talked earlier about us having a sanctuary of peace within us. And, and that's not just a metaphor, uh, you know, that I take lightly. I mean, our, our essential nature is inner calm and peace. It doesn't feel that way when, you know, in ordinary life. But when you engage in these practices that take us deep within and give us access to it, it's not creating something that wasn't already there. It's removing the the obstacles to experience what is already there at the center of our being, but is obscured by all of our habitual, you know, craziness and looking outside and hoping we'll find uh, satisfaction outside and looking for threatening things and so forth. But at our core, we are beyond all that. We have a core of silence and uh, peace. But it's also a fortress of strength. And so by going, by getting access to that inner peace, we can bring it out into our active lives and in so doing, infuse our actions and our thoughts and our speech with different qualities, qualities of peace, qualities of compassion, qualities of kindness. And, and, and our minds are likely to be just, you know, even a little bit more clear, a little bit more stable, a little less agitated, a little bit less narrow, more expansive, so we we can perceive the world more clearly and we can respond to it more creatively, more uh, effectively and with with vigor. So the the whole point is that Spiritual practices do not make us weaklings, do not make us escapists. Um, they can make us more vigorous and more responsible and more creative and more effective in our actions. Because you know, if you think about it, I talked earlier about people like athletes who retain their calm in the midst of uh, crises. They're the ones who do the effective thing. They win the game. The businessman, you know, or businesswoman in the same under pressure, who retains some clarity of thought and keeps their composure, they make better decisions. Uh, 
the parent who's you know uh, unruffled will be more responsive in uh, in delivering the necessary kindness and love uh, to to a, a child in distress than somebody who is so agitated they say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and we see that in our own lives when we're upset with our spouse or our friend or a neighbor you know if we get angry and we lose that composure we end up saying things we regret or doing things we regret how many car accidents are caused because somebody gets agitated and loses his or her cool mm-hmm. and and does the wrong thing so this is a very practical thing i call it a spiritual two step but you know you can call it whatever you want it's bringing out the best of ourselves into the world and that translates especially in crazy times to being a better family member a better neighbor a better you know citizen of a community or a town or a city or a country and a, a planet you know we're more likely to do responsible things we're more likely to do things that are of benefit to others and ourselves and less prone to mistakes if we can retain some inner calm and clarity so you know this is just a very practical uh point of view that I, you know, because of the nature of my book, I, I, I call a spiritual two-step, but it, that mm-hmm. you can call it yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's a, an easy way to remember the um, dual effect or, or um, activity kind of um, the process. So I mean, it's a yeah. good way to kind of keep that in mind. And, and we could certainly use more conscious and compassionate people out there, you know, spreading, you know, spreading that calm around um, right now, for sure. Um, we sure can. Yeah. So now um, you, in the book, you talk about a, a couple different techniques of med- meditation, one breath awareness and another being, um, you know, saying a mantra or that kind of thing. Can can you talk about um, each of those um, techniques, and and is, is it um, more uh, you know kind of a, a preference to what one feels comfortable doing, maybe and using them? Yeah, um, the main point I want to make in in that uh, in discussing these things is um, um, there are many forms of meditation of what we call meditation. And there's a tendency if one just looks in the wrong places or reads an article or something to think they're all the same. And while there may be a lot of similarities, they're not all the same. So and so we should be aware that there's a variety of different types of meditation. We should also be aware that in recent years, the word mindfulness has become very popular. And that gets us even more confused because sometimes mindfulness and meditation are you know, treated as if they're the same thing or synonyms. And mm-hmm. 
you know, so it gets, so I try to write that chapter so people can make the proper distinctions. And the, 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 the main thing I wanted to get across is that there are a variety of practices that bring us a measure of inner peace and take, turn us within. Some people might favor one over another or over the others, and that would be fine, and they should do that on the basis of what works best for them. And the main distinction I, I tried to make is between uh, practices that require a lot of effort and uh, control of the mind uh, and, and uh, the ability to focus and concentrate, and on the other end of the spectrum, practices that require no mind control but are more just a relaxing and uh, letting go of effort and uh, manipulation of the mind. And I favor the latter, uh, especially for people who want to practice they can learn and do on their own uh, without the you know immediate guidance of a teacher. Um, they're just more uh, calming and relaxing and less likely to uh, cause... Um, strain. And so I wanted people to understand that. And and then uh, the practices I uh, give instructions for, one is a, a gentle way of focusing on the breath, which is typical of mindfulness. And the other is a more uh, a traditional meditation practice with the use of mantra in an effortless and relaxing way. So people have those two possibilities from my book and of course there's many other options uh, online and uh, with all the teachers out there but I would tell your listeners that not to just pick up something willy-nilly that you know try to get uh, instruction from a well-qualified and, and trained person yeah yeah it's important and, and I, I noticed you know, when you were writing this thing that it would really fill an encyclopedia with the, the amount of, of variations and <laughs> um, options that you could do but you know what i think it's really important is for people to recognize is you know it's, it's kind of like um you, you can modify it to what makes you feel comfortable you know and, and like you say what brings you inner peace and, and yeah and and not to think they're all the same i mean you know any car that you know will take you from here to there but there's a wide variation in cars <laughs> and, and some will be more comfortable and more reliable uh -huh. and quicker than yeah. others you know <laughs> yeah 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 exactly uh gosh. um so now one of the things too when when I, when I was reading the book there was um a, a small section that you you talked about the silence of the gap when you were talking about um, mm. meditation and i had never heard that now i have experienced it and and like you indicated in the book it's one of those rare kind of experiences that that one can have but it was something that I didn't recognize. Um, so from this point forward, I'll, I'll recognize that what, what it is. But can, can you share a, a bit about that? Because I think it's, again, it's something that we probably experience. We just don't know, don't recognize it. 
but it's a good yeah. thing to be aware of. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. You should bring it up. Um, uh, people who meditate on a regular basis, or you know, other people, just may, uh, in, maybe when walking in the woods or on a beach or just uh, idling, you know, at a stoplight or making love or dancing or whatever, might experience, excuse me, a moment when their mind is clear, but there's no thought, no feeling, just pure you're aware, but not of something. Just awareness. Just conscious. And that prolonged experience, you might then say, oh, well, what was that? I w- my mind was perfectly quiet, but I wasn't asleep. This is much more common than we realize, especially in uh, deep meditation practices or deep in prayer. I know people who are very religious and they pray every day. And and when I talk to them and I bring this out, I say, is there ever a time when you're praying and then you you stop using words and you're just silent for a moment? Oh, yeah, that happens. Similar thing. So this is, remember before I said, you know, we have a sanctuary of peace within us. Our inner nature is pure awareness, pure um, peace, contentment, and silence. But we're busy thinking and we're busy doing. But every once in a while, especially in meditation, if it's a deep form, will take you and the mind will get quiet and suddenly there'll be silence. And then you start thinking again. And people think, well, what was that? Or they don't even take notice of it. But essentially, it's the unveiling of our innermost nature of you know, silent being, pure beingness, uh, or isness. <laughs> we just are. And um, that's... That's a value. This is not something you can contrive or make to happen because the more you try to make it happen, then the busier your mind gets. It's, it's you know, the opposite. But it can happen, and it does happen in these more relaxing, deep moments. And it's worth knowing about because it it shifts our understanding of what we are and what our innermost nature is. And it shows us that, yeah, I have this calm and silence inside me, and the more I access it, uh, the better off I'll be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it, I think it's just, just a, a, a wonderful way to, um, to recognize that particular, I mean, that, that little gap, that, that little silence is, um, you know, it's fleet to me. It, it's just again, you know, for, they've been fleeting kind of, of moments um, that happen. But um, yeah, but, it's, but it it's gives like, new oh. meaning to the um, to the gap slogan of "fall into the gap." <laughs> really, it sure does, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness, <laughs> uh, for sure, for sure. Um, we're we're kind of winding on a little bit, and there's a couple more topics I just wanted to just touch on that, that you cover in your book. One of them, uh, one of your chapters is called "A Little Help from Our Friends 
taking refuge in relationship. Um, mm. You know, in, in today's environment, I, I think this, um, what this uh, pandemic has taught us is, is really kind of brought to the forefront just how important relationships are. Um, and we, we may not have um, given it as much thought. What, what's your um, feeling about that? Yeah, of course, as I said earlier, I wrote this book before, you know, we were sheltering in place and, you know, basically all in seclusion. But um, so some of the things I talk about in that chapter, you know, are harder to do. Um, I talk about the importance of having or the the benefit of having a spiritual community, you know, and that meets on a regular basis, having spiritual companions, you can uh, who you know you can discuss the nuances of your own uh, spiritual practices and and the, your spiritual path, um, and but people are making up for that by doing it on the phone or on Zoom, um, and it's a it's a remarkable thing to see. It validates the importance of spiritual companionship and the importance of relationships. I think. You know, when we come out of this pandemic and life returns to normal, the first hugs are going to be, you know, extraordinary when when people can finally be together again and be see their loved ones and their friends and their relatives and so forth. It's going to be a beautiful thing, and they will appreciate it that much more. And um, that's of incalculable benefit uh you know what what we bring to one another just in terms of friendship and loyalty and love and mutual support terribly important and very much worth cultivating so i have a whole chapter on it and i have you know method spiritual practices that that one can do with their spiritual buddies for their mutual benefit and the importance of um Having you know one relationship that's important is our relationship to spiritual teachers and authority figures, and that can be a very uh, healthy and and nurturing thing. It could also be very dysfunctional, so we have to be careful about such things and be discerning. And um, so yes, and and um, I would encourage everybody to find spiritual companions, have conversations, do shared practices, um, and there are methods in the book for doing certain things together. Um, It's a beautiful thing. And those of us who live with families or spouses and or spouses, we've learned in this lockdown just how precious that is and how delicate it is, you know, because... (laughs) You know, exactly. challenges arise when you're together a lot and you're, you know, under restrictions of how much you can get away from each other. But, yeah. you know, the best comes out as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I had um, two weeks ago, I had um, a guest, uh, Peggy Eason. She's um, she's been on my show like six years ago. We, we were catching up and she is a blind, black, cabaret singer in New York City <laughs> and mm. her whole life and career was around 
cabaret and, and socialization oh, and, my, and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we, we caught up and, and she was just talking about, um, she basically said Facebook, that her friends in support of people from Facebook saved her, you know, because she truly was um, at a loss. Um, and it was those relationships that, that she, she had and she reached out and, and they kind of worked back and forth. So it, yeah, it just, I can imagine. Yeah, I know. When when uh, our our kind of anniversary of the show comes up every now and then on Facebook, I'll get oh six years ago you had the show with Peggy, and so I kind of contacted her and I was like, man, they had to have been rough for you, and she she was yeah she went into just oh how yeah difficult. so but um, oh there's a whole I know people in um, entertainment in New York all the theaters are shut down all the the clubs are shut it's very difficult uh, and it's difficult for the people who are used to being spectators, who find great joy and nourishment in, in, uh, in those things. Yeah, exactly. Boy, well, gosh, we're done to the end, end of the show, Phil, but I do want to let people know that, you know, a couple of the other um, chapters in the book that I really liked, one of them was called When the Blitz Hits the Fan, Immediate Intervention. <laughs> you know, those are, of course, other things hit the fan, but but the immediate interventions, that, that was very, very helpful. And then sacred citizenship, you know, you, you talked a little bit about how we, um, earlier in the show, about how, you know, we can... Um, by having those uh, practice, those spiritual practices, how we can um, use that to engage, you know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and right now there, I mean, there's so much anger, you know, yeah. and, and some of the, you call them, I think, toxic emotions in, in some of the things that are kind of going around, um, that it's, um, and, you know, and it's, it's I think good for people to know that they can take those those emotions, the emotion of anger, and channel it differently. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> there's a tendency, especially when you want to cultivate some inner peace, to um, pull away, to disengage, and and that's to a certain degree necessary. You have to shut mm-hmm. off the TV once in a while, stop reading the news, and just gather yourself restabilize yourself, uh, protect yourself. But we are also uh, citizens. And the more uh, people of goodwill and compassion and kindness are engaged in the world, interacting with others, and doing whatever we can to make the world a better place, uh, the sooner uh, that we'll get out of this phase of toxicity and uh, we, we need engaged spiritual citizenship at this moment in time. Doesn't mean everybody has to, you know, devote themselves to, you know, right. so activism. It just means do whatever you can. And you know, here we are in the middle of October. Get out the vote. I don't, you know, regardless <laughs> of your political situation, you know. Do something. Help out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Phil, I really enjoyed our conversation today. And uh, it's really helpful, the information that you provide in your book. So I really want to thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Robert. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Philip Goldberg. We've been talking about his new book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. And again, you can find out more about the book as well as his 
other videos, podcasts, lectures, all of that stuff at his website, which is philipgoldberg.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show.